I hope you have your Bibles or some format thereof. If you do, would you please turn with me to John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 52 through 58, um, the last words of Jesus to the Jews in this that we call the bread of life discourse. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable. The word of God is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. These are the words of life, for man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. With all of that in view, would you stand as we read God's words? The words of Jesus here in John chapter 6, verses 52 through 58. Please listen closely to the words of Jesus. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and as I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. And God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. As we read those words, did you squirm? <laughs> Are they jarring? Is it difficult to understand? Did you struggle to say in your heart, God, what are you talking about? What does this mean? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Well, we hope to understand that this morning. But I want to start here that what you eat is a matter of life and death. What you eat is a matter of life and death. This is true whether it is um, physical or spiritual. When you eat something, think about it, you, in, you ingest it. And you, when you drink, it comes into you and it becomes part of you. So we know that what you eat can really affect your health. Um, if you have a diet of junk food or really bad food or maybe too much food, can literally kill you, right? Food can kill you. Or not eating enough food can kill you. You can starve to death or you can... Starve yourself to death, as sometimes people do. What you drink, we all know that one can drink themselves to death. We all know, and in probably every family represented here, there have been those who have struggled with alcohol, and it has destroyed lives, and it can literally kill you. What you eat and what you drink is a matter of life and death. The old saying, uh, what you eat, you are what you eat, is, is somewhat true, isn't it? Uh, you know, and what we're going to see this morning is that's basically true. We are what we eat. If we partake of Christ, he becomes part of us. We, we ingest him. We drink him. He comes into us. He becomes part of us. We struggle to understand that. His flesh and his blood, what, what does this mean? And Jesus is speaking once again in in um, symbolic language that is difficult for his, under, his uh, audience to understand. 
But what is true in the physical world is true then in the spiritual world. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, We are spiritually born. We are spiritually reborn. And at that moment that we place our faith in Christ, he gives us new life. But it's not like you just eat one thing. You take this piece of bread, whatever it is, when you become a Christian and you're done eating for the rest of your Christian life. We are to continually partake of and feed on Christ and be spiritually nourished every single day by all that he has to offer us. We are spiritually born and reborn, and he gives us this spiritual substance that is to be continue in all that we do. So, the first thing we want to see in verses 52 and 53 is this, unless you are united with Christ, you have no life. Unless you are joined to him, unless you have fellowship with him, unless you have communion with him, unless you are in Christ, you don't have any life to speak of. In fact, you're dead. We are dead. We are spiritual dead, spiritually dead. So unless you are united to him, um, the Jews that Jesus is talking to, um, because he had just said in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever And the bread which I also give for the world is my flesh. And they go, go, what? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Just like they misunderstood his uh, statement about coming down from heaven, they have a problem with him saying that uh, that they must eat his flesh. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, and here it comes. He doubles down. He doesn't soften it for them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. Simple, right? For those who are listening. Probably rocked them back on their heels even more. So when we say... Unless you are united with Christ, I chose that word on purpose because I want us to, before we go any further, we need to understand what we're talking about so we don't get our ball lost in the weeds when we're talking about eating the flesh and drinking his blood. What is Jesus saying? We know what he's saying, but I want us to make sure because there may be some who have a hard time understanding this. We use the united, the word united to help us understand the figurative language that Jesus is using. He's been talking about the bread of life coming down out of heaven. He is sustenance, and you have to eat this bread, and you have to eat, and I am the bread, so you have to eat me, and, and people's heads are just swirling and turning around. What is he talking about? So here is to, a basic little chart to help us understand the figurative language that Jesus has been talking about. Bread of course, equals food, right? Food equals sustenance, and sustenance equals life. So when he's using bread in the literal sense, uh, the manna in heaven, bread uh, in terms of what we make from flour and yeast and water, it stands for all food, and all food means all sustenance, and sustenance means life, because without food, you die, right? Right. The other figure that he uses in terms of bread in himself is this. Bread equals Jesus himself, 
Because he said, I am the bread of life. You have to eat of this bread. Bread equals Jesus. Jesus equals his flesh and his blood. So he's saying, I'm standing right before you in the flesh, as we would say. So you have to partake of this flesh. So uh, bread equals Jesus. Jesus equals his flesh and blood, his body. And that equals life. This is where life comes from. In the incarnate God, God took on human flesh. He is the source of life. He is the source of eternal life. But the kicker is the word believe. Well, this is what we have to understand, what it means by uniting, being united in Christ, partaking of Christ, believing in Christ. So believe is the word that he uses all the time. He has also said, you must behold me, you must come to me, you must eat and drink of me. And all of that is the same thing. Believe. Believe. You must believe in Jesus. But why would he use eat my flesh and drink my blood? Why doesn't he just say believe? Why does he make it so difficult? Because there's much more to it than just believe. That's why. There is a substance. There is a depth to believing in Jesus Christ. The idea of believing in him is multifaceted. And what it accomplishes is beyond our wildest imaginings. He is making the point that to believe in him is much more than believing in him, if you get my sense. He's making the point that to believe in him is a lot more than just saying, yep, I believe. No, it is deeper. It is broader. There is much more substance to this. So I will put it this way at this point. To believe in Jesus unites us with him in his death and resurrection for eternity. When we believe in Jesus, we are united with him. And we are are reunited with him in his death. We participate in his death. We must die in order to live as he had to die so that we might live. And so we will participate in that resurrection for eternity. So... I say all this up front, so as we go through and we're talking, and Jesus keeps saying, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Don't just go, ick, that's weird. This is what we're talking about. Um, Because this is what um, some of the the Pharisees or the Jews were saying. They were going, yeah, ick, that's weird. We don't get it. It's gross. And they do react negatively. They were arguing with one another. Remember before they were grumbling at Jesus when he said, I came down out of heaven. Now they're arguing with one another. There's this division there, which means if they're arguing, there are different points of view, which I think we can assume that there's some people that are going, I think I get this. I'm beginning to see what he's talking about. I I understand it. Yeah, yeah, now I got it. And and the other guys are going, you can't eat his flesh. How gross is that? The, the law says you can't eat the flesh of human beings and you can't drink blood. And, and they're going, no, 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 that's not what he's talking about. These Jews ever to miss the point once again and misconstrue the words of Jesus. And why is that? They don't believe. They don't have the capacity to understand. They have not been drawn to him by the word, by the spirit, by the son of God. They do not have ears to hear. They have not been drawn by the father. Their eyes have not been opened to truth. They are still in their sin. And this shows that there is this division that is continuing amongst them because of unbelief. And they take Jesus' words literally. 
they're, they're kind of on track a little bit because he had said, well, I'm going to give this bread for the life of the world, and this is my flesh. So they understand something is going on here. And they're beginning to understand, but they don't understand it completely. They're stuck on, he, I have to eat his flesh. By the way, some people through ch- church history have equated this with the Lord's table. That when you eat the bread uh, and you drink the cup, that's what he's talking about. Um, there were two views in the, in the, during the Reformation. One of consubstantiation, which is when we take the bread and we drink the cup... The presence of Jesus is literally there beside and in this bread and cup. The the view of transubstantiation is that when these are blessed and when they are, they are, are, are given to people and when you ingest them, the literal body and flesh and blood of Jesus Christ comes into you. And the view is... That, that imparts grace to us, that gives us grace. Uh, um, we have a view of, in church history called the memorial view, and it's, it's, which basically said this is figurative, and it's pretty clear that Jesus is talking in, about figurative language because he's been talking about bread coming out of heaven. It's not a loaf of bread coming down out of the sky. He's talking in figurative language, and so when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's not saying communion. And one reason we know that for sure is because if we follow that logic, then taking communion would be necessary for our salvation. Because he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have life in yourself. So we would have to do that if he's talking about communion. goes against everything that he has said in the book, everything that the Bible teaches, it's figurative language. So, by the way, this is when he says... Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you do this, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, remember they said, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And he says, I'm not any man. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the mediator from God to you. He is God incarnate. He is the one whom God has sent for the the forgiveness of sins. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And this is the fourth time he has said, truly, truly, I say to you in this bread of life discourse. It's, it's remarkable. Four times he said in verse 26, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, because you ate loaves and were filled. You wanted to get more from me. You can see how he keeps saying this and their, their understanding would get greater. Verse 32, truly, truly, I say to you, It is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you true bread out of heaven. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. And now verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. Jarring words, but what he means, stated if we were to say it in the, in the negative, you have no life in yourself unless you believe in Jesus. You are dead. You are continuing to be dead unless you believe in him, unless you are united with him, unless you have communion with him, unless you partake of him by faith, by believing all that he has done. 
Very similar to, to verse 44 where, when he said, um, um, no one comes to the Father unless he draws them. In the same way he says, no one has life unless you partake of Jesus, unless you are united with him. And the only hope is our partaking, ingesting, taking into us him. Now, here is a lesson just from these first couple of verses. Don't miss the substance of faith. Don't miss the substance of faith. Too often we equate faith with just some simple decision. Yes, I believe that something is true. And just raise your hand and say, yep, I believe that. Faith is deeper. It is broader. It is much more important than that. It is an active, continual. It's not a one-time decision, but it is an active, continual reliance and dependence upon Christ for our life now and forever. That is what saving faith is. It is partaking of him. It is being united with him. It is entering into him by partaking of him, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, meaning becoming intimately acquainted and related to Jesus Christ by faith. Faith has substance. It's not just a simple word of intellectual assent. There's much more to it than that. Okay, I think we've established the, the, uh, the parameters of what we're talking about here, that he's not talking about um, uh, some literal eating and drinking. He's talking about uh, the believing in Jesus Christ. But he stated this in the negative in verse 53. Um, you have no life in yourself unless you do this. But now he's going to state it in the positive in verses 54 through 58. And in verses 54 through 58, we're going to see this, that when you are united with Christ, you have abundant life. When you are united with Christ, you have abundant life. He said before, unless you are united with him, you have no life. But when you do come to him, and when you are united with him by faith, by partaking, by eating and drinking, however um, you want to figuratively express that or literally, you have abundant life. I struggled to find a word for abundant. But later on, Jesus, Jesus is going to say, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And he means more than just, you know, having answered us to prayer every day and, and being full of joy. But he's talking about life now and life forever. It is, it is multifaceted, just like faith is. And so Jesus is going to continue to unpack for us what it means to believe in him and also what is the, the, the results. What are the results of believing in him? What does believing in him, um, uh, what does it achieve in our lives? So he uses the words, he who eats, four more times. Verse 54, verse 56, verse 57, verse 58. He's going to continue to pound, eat my flesh, drink my blood. He's going to say, he who eats, he who eats, he who eats, he who eats. Next week we're going to see some of his disciples are going to say, Man, you are really way out there, and I don't understand what you're talking about. Hopefully you are. But he's going to say, he who eats four times. So let's put it this way. In verses 54 and 55, 
one who eats possesses the ultimate promise of life. The one who eats possesses the ultimate promise of life. He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. So if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have eternal life. He has already said in the passage before, if you believe in me, you have eternal life and I will raise you up on the last day. So it is very clear that when he says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, he's saying, the one who is united with me by faith, the one who partakes by faith. This word eat here is a new word. Um, He has used eat, uh, a different word, the first couple of verses here. But now Jesus uses a different word, uh, and this word is uh, a word that means to bite or to chew or to munch. And it was used, of you could basically hear someone uh, munching or chomping on things, like an animal chewing, you know, chewing the, the hay. And some of your translations, if you have the ESV or the NIV, uh, it changes to the word feed here. And I think that softens what Jesus is saying. I think he's doubling down and making it even harder because this is an even more graphic word than just ingest. This is a word that means to, to munch on and to chew and to, um, to I guess, relish uh, a meal. And so he's doubling down on what it means to, 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 to chew on and to, we might say, hey, take that and chew on it for a while, right? To think about it. We use that kind of figure of speech. And this is the idea here that we, we, we partake and we, we, we take into ourselves by, by eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus, which means believing in his life for our life. So, those who do not, who, excuse me, those who do eat and drink are given two promises here. Two promises. He says, if you eat the flesh and you drink the blood, you have eternal life. The first promise is you have life now, eternal life today. Not just something you're going to get later on, but you have it today. The second promise is you have eternal life and you have the promise that Jesus will personally raise you from the dead. He has said this over and over again. We'll come back to this at the end. He will personally raise us from the dead. But we have to come back to the the head end of this. We have to partake of him. We have to be united with him by faith, by believing, and the picture that he's given to us is eating his flesh and drinking his blood. Fourth time we have seen that he's going to raise us from the dead. And then in verse 54, 55, he gives us the reason. Why is this so, uh, why is this so certain? The reason these promises are certain is because of the life-giving essence of Christ's body of sacrifice. He says, I will raise you from the dead. You will have eternal life because my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. True food and true drink, if you, if you take that at face value, that means there's, there's a false food and a false drink. There is a food and a drink that, is, that does not achieve the, the food, that does not achieve the life of Christ. And there he's talking about anything that we, we look to to satisfy us in life, whether it's physical food or anything else in this life. 
So this true food uh, is proclaiming that there is a nourishment that exceeds and, and, it, and it satisfies beyond anything in this world that this world has to offer us. True food, true drink, Him, Jesus Christ. Head and shoulders, it is the ultimate. His, the essence of who He is is life-giving. And so again, the place of faith is bread equals food equals sustenance equals life. And we can have... Um, Daily sustenance for a, uh, a spiritual life. Um, Job said this, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. We have to eat food every day, but Job said his word is greater. Jesus said earlier in this book, my food is to do the will of the Father. There is food that is beyond this world. Jesus would also say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This is the true food and the true drink that satisfies for eternity. There isn't anything else that even comes close. So, one who eats has this abundant life and possesses the ultimate promises of this life because of the essence of who Jesus is in his life and his, his sacrifice for us. Second of all, in verse 56, one who eats is united with the Son. Now, we've already said that, but we also draw it from verse 56. He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. When we come to him in faith, when we partake of him, when we ingest by faith Jesus Christ when he becomes the one in whom we place our hope and our trust, we become united with him. We abide with him. This is, we've brought this word up before in the book of John. It comes to full bloom in chapter 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and you are to abide, you are to remain, you are to stay, you are to be connected with me at all times. We are to be connected to the vine. The vine gives us life. He gives us sustenance. That sap that comes through the vine comes to the leaves, to the branches. And it is our responsibility when we come to him, we abide in him, we remain with him, we stay with him, we are faithful with him, we are connected to him by faith, not just when we become Christians, but we abide. We continue to abide. This is new. This is something he's introducing new to this whole uh, discourse. Before he just said, if you believe, you'll have eternal life. But we become connected. We become unified. We are in communion. We are in fellowship with him at all times. And those who eat and drink enter into this abiding relationship. It is remarkable and it is intimate. There isn't anything like it. There is a level of beholding, of believing, of abiding that is more than casual. It is more than a matter of accounting in heaven. Yep, you're forgiven. It is more than physical sustenance. It is the impartation into us of, of the spiritual eternal life which the believer, present tense, continually is held by Christ. 
And he cares for us in the Christian life. And, he, and we continually behold him and he continually abides in us. Marriage is, a, is an illustration of this, by the way. A man and a woman become one in Christ. They become one flesh. And it is a picture of of, of the relationship of Christ to the church. And there's this wonderful thing that happens when two, two people come together. The two become one flesh. But marriage doesn't attain to, to salvation. It is only an illustration. It is only a picture of the deepest relationship that we have in Christ. By the way, he is not saying like uh, people today, you know, you, you, you could tell this to someone else, say, you know what, if you believe in Jesus, he will become part of you and you'll, he will abide in you and you will abide in him. They'll say, oh, yeah, I believe that because, you know, God is everywhere. Yeah, God is in me. God is in you. God is in all these people. God is in the trees. God is everywhere. That, that pantheistic and materialistic view of the world that many people hold today and you talk to you know half a dozen people this week, and they will say the same thing. Yeah, God is everywhere. Yeah, He's in all people. He's not. He's the Creator, and He has made the creation, and they're not the same thing. And He is uh, the ultimate being in the universe, and He created the creation, but the creation stepped away because of sin. That's why we need to be united with Him. That's why He had to give His life for us. And so when we come to him in faith, we don't become part of him in the same way of pantheism or monism, and we, we're, we're not equal to Jesus Christ, but he lives in us by faith. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. When you believe in Christ, he takes up residence in your life, literally. And we are, one, we are in Christ together, and that's why we're in him it is the body of Christ. It is God's people in which we are in Christ and he in us. So you see, when he's talking about what happens with faith in partaking and ingesting and being united, it is so very, very deep. And, and the, all that happens to us is, is incredible. That This is evidenced by, by the body of Christ. Here are a couple of lessons. Just from the abiding portion here. Our deepest needs, our deepest longings are found and met in Christ alone. Whatever you think you need, whatever you think you want, you don't. You don't need it. You don't really want it in the end. It, it will not satisfy. Everything that we think will satisfy does not. You, you know that. We've all experienced that in our lives where we wanted something so very, very bad. And once we got it, it was like, eh, it wasn't as great as I thought it would be. Right? Happens all the time. We think we need it. We've got to have it. It will fulfill me. It will really make, fulfill my life, whatever it may be. Your retirement, having a baby, getting married, blah, blah, blah. All good things, yes, that God wants us to enjoy, but they do not satisfy at the fundamental spiritual level. Only Christ can satisfy that hunger, that thirst that he places within us that we crave for something greater. And we want to satisfy it with all the things of this world and we think everything else will satisfy. It will not. It cannot. But he is sufficient. He is enough. 
when we are united with him by faith and we partake and we ingest and we take him into ourselves. Second lesson is this. You cannot live on yesterday's bread. Right? Tara and I went out for for breakfast on Friday. First time we'd been out for breakfast. Had a big breakfast, omelet, the whole thing. And we left there and I said, man, I'm not going to have to eat for the rest of the day. And then about 5 o'clock, I was hungry. You got to continue to eat. We can't live on yesterday's bread. Oh, I already ate this week. Right? I don't need any more food. I, I had a big meal on Monday, so that's all I need. We don't do that in the, in the physical world. Why do we do that in the spiritual world? That we think, well, I can just... Is Sunday morning enough? Is tuning in on Sunday morning enough? Is attending church on Sunday morning enough? What is enough for us? Think about what we feed on. What do you feed on? What do, what do we feed ourselves when you think about it? We, what, what do we feed uh, our minds with, our hearts, our emotions? What is the diet of the things that we consume? What do we consume throughout the week? You are what you eat. How much spiritual intake is necessary for us every single day to counter the philosophies of the world, all the things that we see, all the things that we read, all the things that we're exposed to. It's not enough just to have somebody talk to you on Sunday mornings or to read the daily bread a couple of times a week. Jesus wants us to move from milk to meat, from infancy to maturity. And that's why we work hard at Valley Bible Church to prepare meals that are nutritious and deeply satisfying so that your souls will be fed by Christ. And he wants us to feed daily. So um, if we can't live on yesterday's bread, literally... You cannot live on yesterday's spiritual food either. So what do you need today and tomorrow and Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? What do you need? Eat up. Drink. Talk to him. You are abiding in him and he is abiding in you. He wants you to talk to him. He wants to talk to you. He wants to go with you to work. He wants to be with you at home. He wants you to draw from him life and sustenance in everything you think and say and do. That's what he wants and that's what will fulfill you every single day. God's word, prayer, worship, fellowship, and serving him. All of these things are the food that he nourishes us with. They're part of the life of faith. So being united in Christ is, is a, an amazing truth. But then he, he expands it in verse 57 where he says, One who eats is united with the Father through the Son. We're united with the Son, but Jesus brings it back to the, the point that he's always making. I come from the Father. I come to do the will of the Father. The Father sent me. You see the Son, you see the Father, you see the Father, you see the Son. If you believe in the Son, you believe in the Father. If you believe in the Father, you believe in the Son. I and the Father are one. And he puts it this way. As the living Father sent me, 
and I live because of the Father, so he who, who eats me, he also will live because of me. He's made the point quite clearly throughout that he is sent from the Father, his divine origin, his divine mission. And it's clear here that his mission is to unite us together with him. And when we are united with Christ, we are united with the Father as well. In fact, he would pray in, in chapter 17. These are Jesus' words to the Father about his disciples, about us. He said, Father, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me, that you loved them, even as you have loved me. The Father's love to the Son, the, the Son's love to us. We love the Son, we love the Father. It's all connected. No one comes to the Father but through me, Jesus said. And Jesus is the one, uh, the Father is the one who initiates the plan of salvation, sending his Son, drawing us to himself, uniting us with him. And when that happens, we are united with the Father itself, himself. And the effective bridge to that relationship is faith. It's belief. It is being united to Christ, described here as eating and drinking, partaking in him, having our hunger and our thirst quenched because he alone can do so. Lastly, in verse 58, he kind of goes back to the, doesn't kind of, he goes back to the, the bread uh, terminology, and he comes back to make it simple for them to say, look, this is what I've been talking about. I know it's hard for you to hear these words about eating my flesh, drinking my blood. This is what I'm saying. This is what I said before. One who eats will never die but live. One who eats will never die but live. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. He already went over that with them. They didn't understand that. Not as the father's ate and died, he who eats this bread lives forever. Lives forever. You put it all together. It's not that hard to understand. There is no other bread but Jesus. There is no other life but through him. There is no other source of life in this life or any other place. The source of bread of life, the manna, uh, manna and bread, all these things, they're temporary and they, they don't provide what Jesus offers, which is life eternal. So some final lessons. If we were to look at the bread of life discourse, we might say it this way. Jesus is sent from heaven by the Father as the ultimate provision of life. And those who put their faith in him are united with him to live forever. That's all he's been saying. It's very simple. The application of the bread of life discourse and these words this morning is very simple. Very simple. Do you believe? In fact, the final, final lesson is what you eat is a matter of life and death. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe in him? I want you to take out your communion cup and prepare it for the Lord's table. What you eat is a matter of life and death. It's all that he's saying is, do you believe this? This is not the real body of Jesus. This is not the real blood of Jesus. It is figurative. It's a symbol, but an important one because we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what we eat is very, very important. The other day when we were out getting that big breakfast, we were listening to the radio and there was an oldie station on and they were playing a song by the Carpenters. Remember the Carpenters? Karen Carpenter, what an incredible young talent. Carol Murray used to play with the Carpenters, yeah, a flautist. But, um, and I, I remarked to Tara, Man, what, a, what a waste. This woman who died so young, and in her life, what she ate was a matter of life or death because she died because of food. Anorexia, bulimia, she died because of food. But even that condition was, was a, a demonstration that there was something in her that was unfulfilled. There was a longing, there was a brokenness that she could not find in fame, she could not find in food, she could not find in people, she could not find anywhere, even though she tried so very, very hard. And so for us it's the same. We can't find sustenance in life, in food itself, or in people, or in places, or in circumstances. It is found in his body and his blood, which means his life for our life. He died that we might live. Simple gospel, I ask you again, do you believe? And maybe you do, maybe you do believe, and this is the first time that you've understood as we partake of the bread and the cup, make this your declaration of saying, Father, forgive me. I believe that Jesus died and rose again. And by eating his body and drinking his blood, by partaking of him, I'm saying I believe in you and would you forgive me? Father, we thank you for this bread and this cup which represent the very real sustenance of eternal life, your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for these hard words, but we thank you for their depth. As we ingest, as we take, as we eat, as we drink, we declare to you the Lord's death until he comes, that he is part of us, that he lives in us, that we are part of one another. And we do this by faith. In his name, amen.